Eden Crow by Frank Harris. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Dale Grothman. Eden Crow by Frank Harris. The evening on which Charlie Muirhead made his first appearance at Doolan's was a memorable one. The camp was in wonderful spirits. Whitman was said to have struck it rich. Garat, therefore, might yet become popular in the larger world, and its evil reputation be removed. Besides, what Whitman had done anyone might do, for by common consent he was a darn fool. Good humor, accordingly, reigned at Doolan's, and the saloon was filled with an excited, hopeful crowd. Bill Bent, however, was anything but pleased. He generally was in a bad temper, and this evening, as Crocker remarked carelessly, he was more ornery than ever. The rest seemed to pay no attention to the lanky dark man with the narrow head, round black eyes, and rasping voice. But Brent would croak, Whitman struck nothing. There ain't no gold in Garrett. It's all work and no dust. In this strain he went on offending local sentiment and making everyone uncomfortable. Muirhead's first appearance created a certain sensation. He was a fine, upstanding fellow of six feet, moreover, well-made and good-looking. But Garat had too much experience of life to be won by a stranger's handsome looks. Muirhead's fair mustache and large blue eyes counted for little there. Crocker and the other masters of the art of judging men noticed that his eyes were unsteady, and his manner, though genial, seemed hasty. Reggett summed up their opinion in the phrase, Looks as if he bit off more than he could chaw. Unconscious to the criticism, Muirhead talked, offered drinks, and made himself agreeable. At length, in answer to Brett's continued grumbling, Muirhead said pleasantly, Tain't so bad as that in Garrett, is it? The bar don't look like poverty, and if I set up drinks for the crowd, it's because I'm glad to be in this camp. Perhaps you found the last place you was in just a leetle too warm, eh? was Bent's retort. Muirhead's face flushed, and for a second he stood as if he had been struck. Then, while the crowd moved aside, he sprang toward Bent, exclaiming, Take that back! right off take it back what asked bent coolly as if surprised at the same time however retreating a pace or two he slipped his right hand behind him instantly muirhead threw himself upon him rushed him with what seemed demonic strength to the open door and flung him away out on his back into the muddy ditch that served as a street for a moment there was a hush of expectation then bent was seen to gather himself up painfully and move out of the square of light into the darkness but muirhead did not wait for this hastily with hot face and hands still working with excitement he returned to the bar with that's how i act no one can jump me no one by god and he glared round the room defiantly reggett harrison and some of the others looked at him as if on the point of retorting but the cheerfulness was general, and Bent's grumbling before a stranger had irritated them almost as much as his unexpected cowardice. 
Muirhead's challenge was not taken up, therefore, though Harrison did remark half sarcastically, That may be so. You jump em, I guess. Well, boys, let's have a drink, Charlie Muirhead went on, his manner suddenly changed to that of a friendly greeting, just as if he had not heard Harrison's words. The men moved up to the bar and drank, and before the liquor was consumed, Charlie's genealogy acting as a universal good humor seemed to have done away with the discontent which his violence and Bent's cowardice had created. This was the greater tribute to his personal charm, as the refugees of Garat usually hung together, and were inclined to resent promptly any insult offered to one of their number by a stranger. But in the present case, harmony seemed to be completely re-established, and it would have taken a keener observer than Muirhead to have understood his own position and the general opinion. It was felt that the stranger had bluffed for all he was worth, and that Garat had come out at the little end of the horn. A day or two later, Charlie Muirhead walked about the camp, came upon Dave Crockett's claim, and offered to buy half of it and work as a partner. But the other would not sell. The claim was worth nothing. Not good enough for two, anyway. And there the matter would have ended, had not the younger man proposed to work for a spell just to keep his hand in. By noon, Crocker was won. Nobody could resist Charlie's hard work and laughing high spirits. Shortly afterwards, the older man proposed to knock off. A day's work, he reckoned, had been done. And, evidently considering it impossible to accept a stranger's labor without acknowledgment, he pressed Charlie to come up to his shanty and eat. The simple meal was soon dispatched, and Crocker, feeling the obvious deficiencies of his larder, produced a bottle of bourbon, and the two began to drink. Glass succeeded glass, and at length Crocker's reserve seemed to thaw. His manner became almost easy, and he spoke half frankly. I guess you're strong, he remarked. You threw Bent out of the saloon the other night like he was nothing. Strength's good, but taint everything. I mean, he added, in answer to the other's questioning look, Samson wouldn't have a show with a man quick on the draw who meant business. Brent didn't pan out worth a cent, and the boys didn't like him. But them things don't happen often. So, in his own way, he tried to warn the man to whom he had taken a liking. Charlie felt that a warning was intended, for he replied derisively, It don't matter. I guess he wanted to jump me, and I wouldn't be jumped. Not if Samson wanted to, and all the revolvers in Garrett were on me. While, Crocker went on quietly, but with a certain curiosity in his eyes. That's all right, but I reckon you were mistaken. Bent didn't want to rush you. Twas only his cussed way, and he'd had mighty bad luck. You might have waited to see if he meant anything, mightn't you? And he looked his listener in the face as he spoke. That's it, Charlie replied, after a long pause. That's just it. I couldn't wait, you see and then continued hurriedly, as if driven to relieve himself by a full confession. Maybe you don't savvy. It's plain enough, 
though I'd have to begin far back to make you understand, but I don't mind if you want to hear. I was raised in the East, in Rhode Island, and I guess I was liked by everybody. I never had any trouble with anyone, and I was a sort of favorite. I fell in love with a girl, and as I hadn't much money, I came west to make some, as quick as I knew how. The first place I struck was Laramie. Don't you know it? Twas a hard place. Cowboys, liquor saloons, cussin' and swearin', poker and shootin', nearly every night. At the beginning I seemed to get along all right, and I liked the boys, and thought they liked me. One night a little Irishman was rough on me. First of all I didn't notice, though he meant nothing, and then, all at once, I saw he meant it, and more. Well, I got kind of scared. I didn't know why, and I took what he said and did nothing. Next day the boys sort of fell off from me. Didn't talk, thought me no account, I guess, and that little Irishman just rode me round the place with spurs on. I never kicked once. I thought I'd get the money. I had done well with the stock I had bought, and go back east and marry, and no one would be the wiser. But the Irishman kept right on, and the first one, and then another of the boys went for me, and I took it all. I just... And here his voice rose, and his manner became feverishly excited. I just ate crow right along for months, and tried to look as if it was quail. One day I got a letter from home. She wanted me to hurry up and come back. She thought a lot of me, I could see, more than ever, because I had got along. I had written and told her my best news, and then what had been hard grew impossible right off. I made up my mind to sell the stock and strike for new diggings. I couldn't stand it any longer, not after her letter. I sold out and cleared. I ought to have stayed in Laramie, perhaps, and gone for the Irishman, but I just couldn't. Everyone was against me. I guess you ought to have stayed. Perhaps if you'd wiped up the floor with the Irishman, the boys would never have let you. Perhaps so, Charlie resumed, but I was sick of the whole crowd. I sold off and lit out. When I got on the new stagecoach, fifty miles from Laramie, and didn't know the driver, or anyone, I made up my mind to start fresh. Then and there I resolved that I had eaten all the crow I was going to eat. The others should eat crow now, and if there was any jumping to be done, I'd do it, whatever it cost. And so I went for bent right off. I didn't want to wait. Here's more crow, I thought, but I won't eat it. He shall if I die for it. And I just threw him out quick. I see, said Crocker, with a certain sympathy in his voice. But you oughter have waited. You oughter have made up to wait on this one, Charlie. Ain't hard. You don't need to take anything and set under it. I'm not advising that. But it's stronger to wait before you go for anyone. The boys, he added significantly, don't like a man to bounce, and what they don't like is pretty hard to do. Damn the boys, exclaimed Charlie vehemently. They're all alike out there. I can't act different. 
If I waited, I might have waited too long. Too long, do you sabe? I just can't trust myself, he added in a subdued tone. No, replied Crocker meditatively. No, perhaps not. But see here, Charlie, I kind of like you, and so I tell you, no one can bounce the crowd here in Garat. They're the worst crowd you ever struck in your life. Garat's known for its hard cases. Why, he went on earnestly, as he had suddenly become conscious of the fact, the other night Rigetti and a lot came mighty near going for you. And Harrison, Harrison looked up what you said. You didn't notice, I guess, and perhaps twas as well you didn't. But you hadn't much to spare. You won by the odd card. No one can bounce this camp. They've come from everywhere and can only just get a living here, no more. And when luck's bad, there. And he paused as if no adjective were strong enough. If a man was steel and the best and quickest on the draw ever seen, I guess they'd buried him if he played your way. Then they may bury me, retorted Charlie bitterly. But I've eaten my share of crow. I ain't going to eat any more. Can't go east now with a taste in my mouth. I'd rather they buried me. And they did bury him, about a fortnight after. July, 1892. The end of Eaton Crow by Frank Harris.